0: Hi, you're listening to the HRD Live podcast. I'm Sam Alberti, reporter for HRD Connect, and I'll be your host. This conversation on mental health in the workplace was recorded remotely during the coronavirus lockdown, and as a result, the audio quality may fluctuate slightly from time to time. Joining me for this episode was David Hanrahan, C.H.R.O. at Events Company EventsBright. We discussed the impact of COVID-19 and how it has affected mental health how mental health issues can have a knock-on effect on an organization, how these organizations can go about tackling this in 2020, and much more. Enjoy the podcast. David, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks, Sam. Um, So let's start off by talking about Eventbrite a little bit. Obviously, that's your organization. Um, It's it's in the events industry, which we know has, has suffered greatly. So what impact do you think this has had on employees generally?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, Eventbrite, our mission is to bring the world together through live experiences. And when COVID hit, I think nearly every government around the globe put a hold on live events. And that was pretty swift. Um, our, our business and the creators who are the core of our business, a creator is someone who, who hosts a live event um, on our platform. All that essentially came to a standstill. Um, you know, we're a business that was directly impacted by COVID almost from the beginning you know, roughly sort of March, April timeframe. And right right after that initial impact, we restructured the company, which um, wound up seeing almost half of the staff exit Eventbrite. I'd say April, you know, from, from the earliest start of the year through now, I think April was probably like the darkest, toughest time because of such a sudden swift change. Change management, you know, oftentimes happens over a long period of time, just sort of like reshape a company or reshape a business model. And we had to do it, you know, in a couple weeks. Um, and so I saw a survey recently that said, three out of four adults around the globe have experienced an uptick in anxiety or depression since COVID began. And I'd say not only for Eventbrite because we were directly impacted, but for a lot of people around the globe, um, you know, people who are, are employed or, or have lost their jobs, it's been incredibly hard. Yeah, absolutely.
0: I mean, I read something similar earlier today that um, 60% of HR leaders um, surveyed say that their biggest challenge this year has been emotional exhaustion. Uh, I mean, obviously, it's a it's a huge thing that every business is is having to, to grapple with right now. You know, lots of redundancy, as you mentioned, quick change management. Um, it's a lot to deal with. Um, and moving some um, more towards an organisational level. What do you think the main knock on effects of this are? I mean, it's you know, it's such a nebulous topic that can affect really anything and everything. I mean, engagement, productivity, retention, all of it. Um, So from your perspective, what do you think the main ones are, the main challenges?
1: Well, I think there's um, subsets of people around the globe who've possibly had it worse than others through this. Um, Think about people who are caretakers, perhaps their children's school had to be closed and they didn't have time to sort of think through, you know, an alternative. Maybe they're a single parent or maybe like in my case, um, both parents are full-time, full-time employed. So you have parents just as one subset who are pulling double duty, teaching and working. A lot of um, ethnically underrepresented groups around the globe have had uh, an even more impact, an even more significant impact relative to, um, you know, sort of health from COVID, uh, and negative mm-hmm. health impacts, but also just job loss as well. You've got people who haven't been able to see friends and family um, you know, weddings being postponed, funerals have had to take place with social distancing rules. Um, you know, you've got people who are, have ailing family members who have to be seen behind a plexiglass or, or sort of seen, you know, on Zoom to sort of look after an ailing family member. Um, many of our employees have had to experience, you know, really negative effects from, from COVID. Um, and I think this is compounded by the tech era we're in, where information at your fingertips and oftentimes bad news travels faster and further than, than good news. So, so for us, you know, we're, we're based in San Francisco. So one more compounding effect and thinking about subsets of people, a lot of workers in big cities like San Francisco, New York, perhaps London as well, um, they've experienced these lockdowns and they're finding that what made them love that city or choose that city to work in is essentially removed for the time being. Um, these, are, these are oftentimes cramped cities, um, and the bars and the restaurants don't have a lot of outdoor seating, just as one example. So they're considering moving out. They're considering like, hey, this big city that I chose no longer um, makes me happy. No, it no longer is the, the arrangement that I thought it was going to be. So there's multiple different knock-on effects uh, of COVID, um, and knock-on effect of mental health, but one, one of those is, is overall engagement. I mean, I, I'll just speak personally um, to anxiety and depression because I've, I've experienced this before from a personal point of view, so I can speak from a personal point of view. When you're struggling in life in general, it can be hard to you know, put your all into your job. You feel less productive, which compounds the anxiety and depression you feel. You can feel guilty. Um, I'll just, again, I'll take myself as an example. As a parent who would have to juggle Zoom classroom lessons at the exact same time I'm supposed to be in an executive team meeting, negotiating with my wife which of us gets to focus in the meeting that's happening at the same time for each of us I feel guilt right I feel guilty that I'm not doing a good job as a leader and then not doing a good job as a parent or a husband Um, you can't do all these things really well all at once and so for many not all but for for many um, the effects of COVID are compounding in your mental health and your ability to stay engaged stay focused um, be happy in life be productive and feel a sense that you're also growing through this rather than regressing so that you're, you're growing through this, you're, you're anti-fragile rather than feeling like this is something I'm experiencing, it's happening to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: absolutely, I mean, and I, I guess the other issue is that not only is this completely unprecedented, but um, I mean, you've just, you've just reeled off a list of different scenarios that different people are facing, You know, whether you're a parent, whether you've had um, a family member that's passed away, whatever it is, um, there's so many different scenarios to juggle uh, among a large workforce. So I guess the burning question here is, is, how do you deal with that when you have, like I say, not only an unprecedented scenario to deal with, but so many different problems coming from different people? You know, you can't just obviously you can't just take a blanket approach. I mean, there's a lot of dialogue about that at the minute in the sense that uh, you can't just apply a one size fits all solution to something like this. So yeah, like I say, the burning question is, is
1: what do you do I, I presume that's what our audience is wondering, um, what's your take on that. So I'll start with a big sort of abstract concept and stick with me on this, but I'm just gonna start with this term everyone's heard, but is culture. So culture is incredibly important. Culture is really fascinating too, because like culture for us as a company that's all about live experiences um, and has had a culture that permeated through the hallways. Right? We you know, designed culture, we designed for a live experience. We designed you know, really for an in-office setting. Well, before COVID, only 3% of our employees were remote. Some companies they've designed you know, for remote from the get-go. And I would say, you know, I-, I won't speak to those companies because I would suspect that they're doing fine. They're maybe even doing better. But I'll start with just us, us as an example. Culture is incredibly important. And I think of culture as starting with the leader. Just if you're listening to this, think about who your leader is. You might think of that as your direct boss, or it might be as this, this functional boss. You know that, that you have functional leader. It starts with the leader that you look up to, and that's the person setting a tone in their team or their org. Is that tone empathetic? Um, you know, the culture that looks at people as whole humans as opposed to just an employee. Many of us thought before COVID, you know, that empathy and kindness were the future of progressive organizations and HR. Uh, you know, big uh, bright sort of HR luminary named Josh Burson predicted that kindness is the future of HR. Now, how do you imbue compassion and empathy in your HR practices? How do you do that virtually? So let's we'll take leadership training, for example. Having a point of view on what effective leadership is at Eventbrite was important to us. We started to design our leadership development program in the midst of COVID, So we knew before COVID that hey, we should we should have a leadership development program because I think leadership starts, you know, culture starts with your leaders, and we need this. So this is something important. We wound up just, you know, by happenstance, we had to do this in the middle of COVID. And we call it lead to win is our leadership development program. And we've done this, we've embraced Zoom, we've embraced the virtual format, we use breakout rooms, all that. But one of the early parts of the program that we design and what what's what what called is start with empathy to build trust. So that's a chapter of our leadership development program. So we literally walk our managers through exercises on getting to know their team. Kind of sounds funny, right? To like train your managers on empathy or train them on how to you know, um, foster empathy to build trust. Uh, but it's really important. One simple exercise we use is called, how are you really, really doing? So think about one-on-ones you have with your boss, instead of starting a one-on-one with the old, you know, cliche pleasantry of, hey, how are you, Sam? And then you move on to your agenda. Think of redesigning that to, hey, how are you really, really doing? And then, you know, allowing for space for that person's response to play out. You know, oh, fine, doing fine. No, how are you really, really doing? Give space for them to absorb the question and actually answer how they're feeling. Uh, You know, this week, you know, our caretaker, um, you know, canceled on us, you know, my, my wife, um, she got, she got called into a full day of meetings. I don't know how I'm going to make this work today. And, and from there, you know, you show curiosity, like, well, hey, how can I, do you want to move some meetings around? You know, how can I help? I, I can, I can cover you for this next meeting. So you, you do this with emotional and self-awareness. And I think you have to also guide and set the tone for your leaders that this is important. This is our leadership training you know, results are important and, and performance is important and all these other things. We'll get to that in time, but we think that the way that you unlock people's potential is to start with your self-awareness and then building empathy to build trust. I think as you build a kind and empathetic team culture, you're more likely to foster inclusion and psychological safety for people to bring their full, you know, sometimes ragged self to the virtual work environment. You know, you've got people who are kind of fighting each of their own battles um, around the globe and in your organization. Some of them, they're um, spouse may have lost their job um, some of them they're, they're dealing with an ailing family member who they can't see um, some of them are totally fine like this is great for them but more often than not you know people are experiencing some hardship through this people that are going to be more interested in each other from that sort of empathy caring for each other as colleagues ultimately those those same people will put more into their work it's even possible that during this COVID era here's here's a big big sort of bold hypothesis It's even possible that during this COVID area that teams that do this really well will actually be more productive than before COVID and create workplaces that are almost, you know, refuges from the craziness outside. It's hard if you didn't design this from the beginning, you're going to have to go through a lot of change management to redesign this. And I think a lot of organizations are judging whether like, hey, should we really pivot, you know, for all of this because maybe offices will reopen soon? Should we really pivot our culture or should we sort of ride this out? And I think you know your resilience and your adaptability to sort of like design for what you think is the future. Kindness, we think kindness is the future. We think empathy and compassion is the future. So let's just ro- roll with that, regardless of how how quickly or you know not that office is reopened.
0: And this more progressive approach to uh, to leadership development, as in basing it on kindness and empathy, um, this it's surely not going to be just a short term thing that only works in the context of COVID, right? I mean. Would you say that this is something that is going to become a, a major priority for organizations permanently now?
1: I believe so. Yeah, I think there's a couple of different pieces of research that I could I could talk to, but mm. um, progressive organizations and what the the worker today or the person entering the workforce, right? So maybe graduating college, they're first starting out in their career. They are the future of the workforce. What do they want? They want corporate social responsibility. This is this is from research. They want corporate social responsibility. Um, They want a workplace that is flexible. They want a boss who cares. Um, And ultimately those things speak to a couple of related concepts, but empathy, kindness, servant leadership, even the air force of of all organizations are embracing servant leadership where you put yourself aside as the leader and you think about your people first. What What do I need to do to enable them to be their best? So there's a lot of different points of research that we could you know, point to to say that that is, the, that is the future. And there's various reasons for that. Why, why would you know, someone entering workforce today, why would they be prioritizing you know, kindness and empathy as opposed to like stability, right? It used to be maybe 30 years ago, like what I really wanted was stability. I wanted to be at a workplace for 20 to 30 years, get my pension, retire from there. That was, that was what was important in society many years ago. And today we're seeing something different. And I'm gonna draw a loose connection here, but I'll just point to you one thing going back to mental health. We're seeing mental illness skyrocket amongst millennials and amongst the generation entering the workforce right now. This is, um, you know, this is kind of highlighted in this recent movie called The Social Dilemma, but even before that lots of research showed that, for example, suicide rates for college grads today are three X that of college graduates of the fifties. Um, and then you could you draw a, collect, a correlation there to uh, mental illness spiking for the younger generation. And so care, kindness, empathy, are almost an antidote to what people are experiencing you know, through, amongst other things, social media, which is misinformation, bad news, traveling faster than good news, inundated with bad news every day, climate change, all that sort of stuff. And so you want a refuge You know, in the place that you're gonna spend almost a quarter of your life, which is work, you want that to be someplace that is gonna, that's gonna be good to you, you know, good to your mental well-being because it's already hard in the world. So I think that is as an employer brand, as a sort of best, as a sort of like attribute of the future of the work, um, incredibly important.
0: Yeah, and and you mentioned corporate social responsibility there. And I just wanted to expand on that a bit because, you know, this is something that there's obviously a a lot of dialogue on right now. Particularly in the context of of the younger generations who are coming into the workforce, and the kind of things that ty- typically endear them to to an employer. Um, and I think some some obvious examples of this are, are things like, um, you know, organisations taking a more progressive approach to to things like uh, environmental awareness, uh, gender politics, uh, things like that. Um, and naturally, the, these are concepts that are are more attractive to to the younger more liberally minded people that are entering the workforce. Uh, So I just wanted to take that principle and talk about it in the context of of what we're discussing here. Uh, So I guess my question is, do you think that mental health sits comfortably on that corporate social responsibility spectrum that that we're talking about here, you know, alongside other issues such as, like I say, environmental awareness, gender politics, that kind of thing? Um, And in particular, do you think that applies when it when it comes to younger
1: generations? Yeah, absolutely. I think climate change, um, mental health in society, um, uh, racism, um, you know, in society, there, there are things that are permeating every hour of our life, right? So it's, it's like there's a blurry line now between work and life for um, particularly, particularly in tech, um, particularly where you're sort of, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sort of clocking in and clocking out. There's, I'm not working on a manufacturing line. Um, but I think in general, even for, for manufacturing companies, traditional companies, um, as well as you know, sort of newer, newer companies, I think CSR is becoming important because a lot of people entering the workforce right now are seeing that as as inextricable. The point of view my company has on climate change or racism or mental health, the effects of tech on mental health of my children, those are, those are not things that you can compartmentalize. So your company having a point of view and taking a stance and doing work in the community, having corporate social responsibility is something important for a lot of people, right? So if I'm gonna to choose to you know, devote time to my employer for X number of years, I kinda of wanna know where they stand on these things because I'm passionate about these things. There's a company recently um, that went public and said, we are not going to engage in corporate social responsibility. We are not. We are not going to have a view on what is happening in society we, that that is taboo internally in our company, and this this sparked a big dialogue amongst amongst a bunch of my um, CHRO friends, and so I think that's fine for them. That's the choice. Um, it's better to have a choice and better to like know where you stand than not. But my point of view is that corporate social responsibility is incredibly important, and why is that? Um, let's take. Um, Let's take the Chicago Bulls um, or the, the L.A. Lakers, who just won the NBA championship this week. They have engaged in a lot of social advocacy, having a point of view on, amongst other things, racism in society. And they won the championship. Right. So I believe ultimately you'll be a higher performing company if you have corporate social responsibility, if you have good mental health, if you foster and start with with good mental health in your organization, leading has a lead to corporate social responsibility, you'll be a high performing company. There's a lot of evidence that, we'll start with clinical mental health, a lot of evidence that common diagnoses like anxiety and depression result in work disrupting absence and inability to perform daily work. One in five adults experiences mental illness in a given year, so that's as common as the flu. So, but then when you go one step back and just think about everyday mental well-being. When you have good mental well-being in your company, you're creating an environment for people to really unlock their potential, to deliver breakthrough results, to be their full self, to allow LeBron James to be his full self. You know, he's not, we're not sort of saying LeBron, don't talk about these things. You're creating an environment for people to really unlock their potential, deliver breakthrough results, to create ripples of inspiration internally in that organization to be world-class leader, world class employer that ultimately translates into destination employer brand to be an employer of choice through the thriving mental health of your culture. And that probably provides a springboard to engage publicly and have corporate social responsibility because you're authentic and you're allowing people to be their full selves. And you're taking stances and advocacy and allowing for people to talk internally. Because again, you you don't just turn off your brain as soon as you go to work. You're worried about climate change. You're worried about racism. You're worried about the effects of tech on on your children's mental health to say you can't talk about those things when you when you come to work is just oblivious to the way a modern workplace is going and how people think about where they want to work
0: um you've mentioned things like uh less absence and more productivity as potential benefits of, of uh of paying more attention to to this topic of uh, corporate uh, corporate social responsibility and employer brand that kind of thing. Um, what about talent? That's uh, that's obviously an area that has been severely ruptured uh, recently, and it's harder to navigate than it have, ever has been before. Um, so when it comes to things like retention and acquisition, which you know we're constantly hearing is is, is one of the biggest challenges right now. Um, how do you think something like CSR, um, employer brands, um, and generally, as we've been talking about, just being more conscious of of mental health? Um, how do you think those two things relate to each other, if at all?
1: Well, I think they relate. I think there they're probably there's a Venn diagram there, corporate social responsibility, mental health, um, culture. Um, you know, there's um, evidence that we're gonna see um, a really unfortunate spike in attrition of caretakers, particularly females, from the workplace amidst COVID. Leaving the workplace in order to take care of all those things I talked about, um, and that's incredibly a negative effect for for industry globally um, to see females leaving in mass, um, because for whatever reason it's it's the, the the makeup of that company didn't allow them to continue to work to juggle. And so when I think about just um, as a subset um, parents and caretakers. Um, having psychological safety having having a culture of flexibility having a culture of empathy wanting to figure out well, I want to figure this out with you on how you can kind of juggle all that you need, um, you know block off time during the day to take care of what you need to do um, you know with your children with your family, to juggle life so that you can ultimately stay here and do well. That translates to um, you know a caring organization, which translates to you know hey my workplace when I wake up in the day I know they've got my back and that doesn't it's not daunting for me it's not daunting for me to think about the calendar my calendar for today my am i going to meet my boss's expectations my boss has got my back that translates into mental health at work that translates to engagement at work and i'm i'm still juggling a lot and this is hard but i'm still going to put my all in to my work because i think my boss has got my back the organization has got my back that translates to me sharing my story on Glassdoor, on comparably on what have you about this is a group this is a pretty great place. You know, the, the business has kind of struggled a little bit, but ultimately I think this is a great place and it's a, you know, I, I advocate for it that translates to an employer brand mm-hmm. that the employees speak to not me, not, I don't have to put, you know, like, you know, some sort of inauthentic, you know, sort of advertisements out there. I let the employees share this and then candidates look at that, you know, um, you know, candidates will will check you out on on your various you know sort of social presences, and so I think that for a lot of organizations um, is is a winning strategy, um, particularly if you know if you're in a business right now that's kind of struggling, it's gone through a lot of change, so you can kind of see how those those sort of things sort of interact with each other.
0: Uh, David, we've we've whizzed through so much um, so much content here, touched on so many different topics. Um, but I just wonder if, to finish off, you could potentially tie this into a neat package for me, um, and sort of give 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 our readers some some top tips on how to approach this. I mean, I guess the uh, the ultimate goal here is to be uh, as an employer to take a more progressive and conscious stance to mental health, uh, particularly in the content uh, the context of the global and corporate crisis we're facing right now. Um, so if possible, and I know this is a big topic, um, but what would you say your, your top tips are uh, for a HR leader who just doesn't know how to get that kind of process off the ground?
1: Well, one core thing for us is having great partners. So you're, you're not alone, right? You don't have to figure out mental health all by yourself. A lot of us, I'm not a doctor, either of us are doctors. It's rare that a CHRO is a licensed physician or psychologist. But you have, there's great partners out there and you can tap in different benefits. Um, one thing that we've launched is a mental health mental health benefit called Modern Health, which offers on-demand coaching and therapy from, from licensed experts. Um, engagement in that from our employees has been really amazing. It's clearly we're tapping into a need. So there's programs, there's partners out there that you could look into. Um, and they kind of pay for themselves when you think about that sort of like, you know, preventing work, disrupting anxiety and depression. Um, But I think um, you also have benefits and you have there are licensed um, practitioners out there. And we have to figure out ways for our employees to get that access, to sort of look into who are the practitioners that our employees should be speaking to, to talk to someone. Because what we know is whether you're talking to your boss, you know, or you're talking to a family member, or you're talking to a licensed expert, the sheer simple act of talking, right? Sharing what's going on with me is the very first important step to good mental well-being and good mental health for the average individual. When you don't talk about it, when you bottle it in, that compounds the issue, right? And a lot of organizations, if mental health is is stigmatized, not gonna talk about it. So you gotta find ways to destigmatize it. And one of those ways is to lead, is to lead and, and talk about it from a leadership point of view. Hey, mental health is really important right now. Acknowledge we're all stressed, we're all anxious. Here's some things that you can do to, to get help. Here's some things that I do. When people see that their leader talks about this and destigmatizes it, it goes an incredible distance towards the mental well being and mental health of your organization improving. So, just to close, you know, as a company at Eventbrite, um, fortunately, I'm seeing us rebound. Our business is coming back, live events are coming back in really interesting and in, 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 you know, sort of ingenious ways. Uh, And owing a large part to our staff and our creators, we're seeing really creative ways to gather safely from online or hybrid events, to even drive in theaters and socially distanced cooking classes. So the world is craving this connection and our our mission-driven culture is really revved up to power that. And I'm incredibly optimistic. Um, So I really enjoyed being here on this podcast today to talk about some of these things.
0: Great, thanks so much. Um, Really enjoyed having you. Um, And thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for listening to this episode of the HRD Live podcast. Following a short hiatus over the summer, we are now once again releasing new episodes on a regular basis. So make sure to subscribe via your preferred platform. Finally, remember to head over to hrdconnect.com for more insights and analysis on the future of work. Until next time, goodbye.